You're listening to Fly By Night, a podcast by FedEx Pilots for FedEx Pilots. Brought to you by the FedEx Master Executive Council of the Airline Pilots Association. And now, here's your host, MEC Communications Chair, Captain Chris Lee. This episode of our podcast is different than what we usually do. Today, we are replaying a podcast titled Lawyers, Guns, and Money that was originally released by the Delta MEC on June 22, 2022. In this replay, you'll hear from Engage podcast host and Delta MEC Communications Committee member First Officer Ryan Argenta and ALPA General Counsel and Director, Legal Department, Marcus Migliori. Together, they will discuss the Railway Labor Act and its implications during Section 6 negotiations and how pilot-coordinated self-help actions can adversely derail progress at the table. And now, here's the podcast, Lawyers, Guns, and Money. I'm here with Marcus Migliori. He works at Alpa National in Washington, D.C. He is a veteran attorney of over 30 years working in the aviation and the labor industries. And he's here to talk to us about not just Railway Labor Act, but the implications of job action, status quo. These are things that we've heard, but we may not totally understand. Lawyers, Guns, and Money. Today's episode, kind of making light of it with the title. However, this is a serious topic. Speaking about the Railway Labor Act, some lessons learned from the past, particularly about avoiding job actions, taking matters into pilots' own hands to try to make an impact. And there are some pitfalls that we want to bring to the attention of the pilot group. Marcus, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate your time. Let's start with status quo. The Railway Labor Act governs labor unions in the aviation field. In particular, they talk about status quo. What does status quo mean and how are we governed by the Railway Labor Act? The status quo means, from a practical standpoint, the legal requirement on the part of pilots and the unions that represent them to maintain the pilot-specific and impacted operational and scheduling conditions that could affect the airline's operations, schedule, and bottom line financial situation. This duty, which can be enforced by a federal judge not to upset these status quo conditions, applies at all times unless and until the pilots and their union fully exhaust the RLA's bargaining and mediation process and are released to legal self-help economic actions against the company. This duty for unions and pilots to maintain these status quo conditions prior to this point is spelled out in a number of federal court decisions over the last 25 years. So what does status quo mean specifically to Delta pilots? Some scenarios, for example, not picking up overtime, coordinating to do so, right? It's an individual decision whether you want to pick up a green slip or not, but coordinating to not pick up green slips, perhaps coordinating sick outs, coordinating and setting the parking brake. Sure, and, and obviously what you just mentioned about open time is definitely part of it. For pilots, this means maintaining the practice that has existed on the property regarding such things as open time pickup, sick or fatigue calls, junior or senior manning, mechanical write-ups, and the like in the same manner that the pilots had been doing that in the prior practice on the property for a while. This duty does not change the individual discretion of pilots to choose to pick up open time or not, for example, call in sick or fatigued, or write up a plane if health or safety require them to do so. But it does mean there cannot be an orchestrated campaign led by the union or line pilots acting together to impact these individual discretionary pilot decisions in a way such as pressuring other pilots, for example, 
that will in fact upset the operation, the schedule or finances of a carrier. Bluntly put, in other words, neither the pilots nor their union leaders can lead a slowdown or job action campaign before the end of the RLA bargaining process. If that kind of campaign is going on, it is illegal and will be enjoined under the RLA by a federal judge. The union and the pilots it represents will be subject to that injunction and possible fines or additional severe court contempt sanctions if that injunction to restore the status quo practices is violated. These injunctions and associated court activity will have negative consequences on the bargaining timeline and leverage for pilots because, among other reasons, it will impact the attitude of the National Mediation Board. It will significantly slow the progress towards a new collective bargaining agreement if there is an injunction and the resulting threat of contempt fines and other sanctions have major consequences for the freedom of a union and a pilot group to act and speak out in their best interests when under the injunction. You use the term injunctions, but this is essentially the company suing the individual pilot. This is the company suing the pilot union. And a court is then ruling on this saying you violated the law based on the Railway Labor Act. And whether it's union leaders or individuals who have banded together. That's correct. It's problematic, not just for those individuals, but for the union in general. We're almost to the finish line with a contract, working hard to get through that. We don't want any potential violations as we go here. It's, it's, it's going to hurt us. What about if management violates status quo? The same process applies then, right? Well, uh, not exactly. The status quo obligation does apply to management in that it is not supposed to change the status quo conditions as spelled out in the collective bargaining agreement or past practice on the property until the end of the RLA bargaining and mediation process. But the way disputes involving management changes is handled is very different under the court's interpretation of the Railway Labor Act. Since 1989, the Supreme Court has decreed that any change in conditions by management cannot be the subject of a court injunction by the union as long as management can make a non-frivolous argument under the contract or past practice to justify its position, even if the issue is a sure loser in arbitration for the company before the system board. Instead, the union must, under that court case and cases since, arbitrate the issue under the grievance provisions of the contract. In other words, as long as management can make such an argument, even if weak, under the contract or past practice, and again, that standard for making that non-frivolous argument by management is extremely low, unfortunately, the union is required to grieve the issue rather than take it to court and must use the system board arbitration process to address the management violation of the agreement. This is known as a minor dispute in labor law parlance used by the federal judges who made up these rules, although this term is a misnomer, as the issues involved can be extremely significant. The term just means that the issue is subject to mandatory arbitration rather than a court injunction action. It seems that management plays by a slightly different set of rules than are applied to, say, ALPA. Is that correct? That's correct. And at the end of the day, what it means is we have a different procedural pathway we have to use, which is to go to the arbitrator, go to the grievance process rather than go to court. Give me a couple examples of status quo violations that we've seen in the industry, Delta being one of them in the past, right? Can you speak to that? Yes, definitely. We've seen that on both sides of the coin. For example, there have been significant injunctions against union or pilot-led slowdown campaigns involving sick outs, fatigue campaigns, mechanical write-up campaigns, and open-time boycotts over the years, and injunctions against job actions or slowdowns 
have occurred regularly for the last 25 years. For example, at American, with regard to the Allied Pilots Association in 1999, that case involved a sick out. That case set a very bad precedent for the industry because the court found that APA was engaged in contempt of the injunction. APA issued communications that the court found led to a worsening of the sick out after the judge had ordered it stopped. This led to a contempt trial that resulted in APA being fined almost $46 million and a number of the pilot leaders being individually on the hook personally until the fine was completely paid off. The following year, ALPA was enjoined for maintenance write-up campaign at Comair in an open-town boycott at Delta. And we all thought that the APA case basically set the table in a very bad way for ALPA with respect to both of those cases. The Delta case is particularly notable in that the court found that even though ALPA did not lead that job action, which was a grassroots type of pilot-led campaign of not picking up time, ALPA as the bargaining representative was subject, to the, under the court's view, to a duty under the RLA to act in good faith in the bargaining process, and therefore we, ALPA, had to make every reasonable effort to stop that pilot-led open-time boycott. The Court of Appeals ultimately ordered ALPA, in fact, to direct pilots to pick up open time to undo the campaign. I want to back up for a second. Pilots who worked on their own to coordinate these job actions, yet the union is being held responsible. That was the result of the injunction because the court said that's what we needed to do to undo the grassroots pilot-led boycott of open time. The Delta case, therefore, unfortunately, stands for the proposition, one followed a great number of times since by the courts, that the union is responsible for stopping pilot-led slowdowns or job actions that the organization is not involved in or even speaks out against. The Delta decision that I just talked about meant that the union was responsible as the bargaining representative for controlling and ending any line pilot slowdown in any event, even if the union had spoken out against it. That seems pretty daunting for an MEC, right? If they have some pilots operating on their own and they're saying, hey, let's do a slowdown or let's do a sick out on it, and they're coordinating on social media or behind the scenes, that is problematic. And that's why we're putting this out, right? Exactly. And that's part of the reason that people need to be educated about the state of the law today. In a similar scenario to the Delta case that we just talked about, just played out at Spirit in 2017 when ALPA was enjoined for an open time campaign there open-time boycott, I should say. IAM, TWU, the Teamsters, and other RLA unions have all suffered similar injunctions over the last 10 years as well. So this is certainly a universal issue, not limited to ALPA, not even just limited to pilots, under the RLA today. Numerous cases have also held, on the other hand, and this goes back to what we were talking about, management being under a slightly different condition here, that the minor dispute doctrine blocks union efforts to secure status quo injunctions against management for working condition changes. This has been the case repeatedly in the courts for the last 30 years. A recent important example of this is the SWAPA case on the COVID vaccine mandate, which was found to involve a mandatory grievance minor dispute issue under the SWAPA contract. So the SWAPA's lawsuit against that was dismissed on that basis. Some people think that there are there's technology or there are apps that delete themselves or they can't repeat, but everything leaves a digital trail, right? And everything is culpable when it comes to a, a court injunction against a pilot or the, the pilot union, right? Like they're, they're literally collecting phones, court ordered. You're not going to be able to hide this. No, unfortunately, there is no such thing as any kind of secure electronic communication. And the Spirit case is a good example of that. They had used WhatsApp's 
threads basically to try to communicate line pilots among each other saying, I'm not going to pick up open time anymore. And the bottom line is that they were all screenshotted and anybody that has a device can screenshot whatever shows up visually on their device and print the stuff out. And that's what happened. So when I showed up in court in Fort Lauderdale, you know, I had a stack of papers that were all WhatsApp printouts that was about five inches thick. And that's what the judge jammed down our throat. And in fact, we didn't even get to go to court on that. The judge basically enjoined us without a hearing, largely because of those things. And, you know, so there is no double seven disappearing ink. It's not going to work. And people need to understand that if you, once you post something in social media of any kind, there, it's going to be held in at least a couple memory places, you know, one in a, probably on a server back end somewhere on the device, somebody else's device. Any one of those are vectors to go in, print it out, and undo whatever the secrecy that the folks were trying to do. So that's something I basically had to tell pilots over the years, that if it's electronic and if it's posted, there's no way that you're going to keep it secret. If the court orders it in discovery, the court will say, okay, well, I want to see everybody's devices and they're going to be data mined to at least see what's on them. That's part of the discovery process is turning over all documents, including anything that's on a device, whether it's a PC, whether it's an iPhone, an Android. And in fact, during the 2008 lawsuit United, we literally carried boxes of personal devices and they were probably pre-iPhones mostly at that point, the PDAs or flip phones or whatever, but they all had texts on them. And there were literally boxes full of those that were sent to the forensic search firm for data mining. And that really hurt our case quite a bit in terms of the messaging that was on those devices. And if you try to destroy the evidence, so to speak, you're putting yourself in even more jeopardy, right? Absolutely. That's a violation of law and individuals can be severely sanctioned for destroying evidence. Let's do this the right way. Let's do this in a clean way get our needs met contractually and otherwise without having to coordinate these acts, right? We want to do it right. We want to do it cleaner and better than the other guy. Absolutely. It's just not worth the risk. In most of the cases I have identified, pilots were individually disciplined or terminated by the airline in addition to the injunctions issued against the union, not just for Alpha, but for the other uh, unions as well. In the Delta case, for example, some 49 individual pilots were made co-defendants with that open-time boycott case. In the United case, some five pilots were terminated, and it took almost five and a half years, that's correct, years, for all of them to be returned to service after arbitration with United. Engaging in or advocating for an illegal slowdown can result in an injunction that jeopardizes not just ALPA's bargaining timeline and leverage, but also individual pilot careers. So kind of a side question here, but going back to the Railway Labor Act seemingly skewed towards management, is there anything we can do about this going forward to balance the playing field? Is it the Railway Labor Act that's the problem? Does that need to be changed or updated? Or is it in particular the interpretation of the law that is working against us? Well, it should be noted at the outset that the text of the RLA, which was actually negotiated, believe it or not, between rail labor and management in the 1920s, is not to blame for this. It is the interpretation of the RLA by federal judges appointed by the presidents of the United States that have led to the current situation. So it will take more labor-friendly judicial appointees in the future to remedy this, or unions must have a much more labor-friendly Congress and president to legislatively fix this problem in the future. And it's, you know, obviously you have to have everybody line up in the same direction to pass legislation. So it's very difficult. If that day ever arrives, however, ALPA is ready with suggested amendments to the RLA to fix some of these judicial misinterpretations, in my view, of the statute. At the same time, 
folks should realize that despite the judicial misinterpretation of the law, that the RLA is still a far more effective law to further employee interests for a variety of reasons, but largely due to the stability the RLA provides to collective bargaining and to collective bargaining representatives. And I can say this based on practicing under both federal labor laws for about 35 years, because I actually also practice under the NLRA as well. The RLA itself, despite its flaws, means that there's a lot of stability for a labor union to remain the long-term labor representative on the property, bargain successive contracts, better contracts. And that's why union density is over 85% in the rail and air industries and, and over 90% among pilots. While it is less, and I hate to say this, and I sadly say this, less than 7% in other private sector areas in the U.S. that are under the NLRA and the National Labor Relations Act. ALPA could simply not secure the kind of contracts it negotiates without this kind of density and clout in our industry and the structure of the RLA, which really does preserve in the long term the ability of the union to negotiate successively better contracts, is no small part of that. So key takeaways here, as pilots, let's not disrupt the operation. We can do things the right way. We can choose whether we want to pick up green slips or not. But coordinating officially or unofficially or offline or secretly or in public doesn't matter. Let's let the union do the work. We're in a good position. Let's do this cleaner and better than anybody else. The key is we can't disrupt. We have to be non-disruptive in our activities, such as informational picketing, advertising, social, and other media campaigns. All of these can put effective pressure on the company in a meaningful but safe way. I want to bring up things like picketing and the advertising that the union does and these comms that we send out to the pilot group, but to management, the shareholders. So all of these things are permitted under the Railway Labor Act, right? In your opinion, does picketing actually move the needle at the table? Absolutely. It has really grabbed the company's attention. It's grabbed the attention of the press and public. So it does provide pressure in a meaningful but safe way because it's not disrupting the operation. ALPA's communication and SPC committees are trained in how to conduct these safe activities in an effective way to support pilots' legitimate bargaining goals. So, you know, maybe we can't disrupt the operation through a sick out or a, an overtime slowdown campaign or other things like that, but there's a lot of other things we can do that will work, that will not get any pilots individually in trouble and won't get their union's bargaining leverage and timeline in trouble either. Well, I certainly appreciate your time. That's been pretty eye-opening, actually, and it's good information to put out to the pilots. Is there anything else you want to bring up to us? Any nuggets you want to leave us? The only thing I, it, global point I would make just kind of where we are in the industry right now is that I think people should realize that obviously there's a lot of pressure on managements to keep the pipeline of pilots flowing in because for due to retirements and other things, they're having a hard time keeping up. That creates a lot of wind at our sails and winds at our back in terms of getting good contracts because if anybody has a substandard contract right now, they're going to have a hard time operating their business. So folks should just remember not to overreach. What's happened in the past when pilots have overreached with respect to these kind of slowdown activities, it's kind of blown up in our faces. What I'm saying is we can use the current environment that we're in to our advantage without having to overreach in a way that's legally going to jeopardize our bargaining leverage or individual pilot careers. People should remember that. And ALPA, you know, through not just at this property, but throughout its organization is very effective in communicating these things and being able to get that pressure out there in a safe way. And we should let that good atmosphere that we're in for our careers right now work for us within the bounds of the law. And that concludes the replay of the podcast, Lawyers, Guns, and Money from the Delta MEC. Thanks for listening. 
If you have any questions, please go to our website, fdx.alpa.org, and utilize the DART link. And as always, be safe out there, and we'll see you next time.